0: The basic income podcast i'm owen poindexter and i'm jim pugh those of you who have
1: been paying attention to national politics may have heard about several bills that have been introduced in the recent past that while not proposing a full universal basic income in the united states propose something that sort of starts to look like something in that direction so we've heard various things about this from different sources but we thought it could be worth taking an episode and really diving in on what's actually been proposed and how much this actually does or does not
0: look like basic income. So we're going to start with the GAIN Act, which was proposed in September of 2017 by Representative Ro Khanna and Senator Sherrod Brown. And this is an expansion of the Earned Income Tax Credit, or EITC. And it roughly doubles the current EITC for families, bringing it for two kids would bring it to a maximum of about $10,000, $10,800. And for childless people, it roughly quintuples the maximum credit from 5 hundred ten dollars to three thousand. And these are for low income workers phasing in at around between ten and twenty thousand dollars and phasing out uh, starting at around twenty thousand dollars or higher than that for families. So Jim, what are your, what are your thoughts here? I mean, I think EITC is the, the thing that makes it like basic
1: income is it's cash. It's unconditional cash. It's money that's being given to people who are on the lower ish end of the income spectrum and they can do with it whatever they want. There's absolutely zero conditions. If it's based on your income and beyond that, there's no boxes you have to check. There's no hurdles you have to jump over. So I, I think in that respect, there that is a resemblance to UBI. Where it falls down is on the universality, because this is something that is only being given to, to people who earn within a certain income range and really only gets sizable once you have some appreciable amount of income. And and I think that's actually the piece that most separates it from broader UBI is because with that income phase in, the fact that someone earning zero gets zero, it effectively does end up reinforcing this idea of, of deservedness around receiving benefits and saying that, oh, if you're a productive working member of society, you get support. If you're not, you don't get anything. And so I think that's that's the basicism here.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think it would do a whole lot of good. It would get people out of poverty. It would just make a big difference. It would put a lot of money in a part of the economy that could really use it and would be very stimulative, all that good stuff. At the same time, I'd find it hard to get truly excited about it because it doesn't make any kind of philosophical leap about just allowing people to survive, making sure that everyone's okay And yet saying that it's okay if you don't have a job, you're not part of a family or someone has a job. And so, yeah, I think I would be thrilled if this bill passed, you know, potentially in a future Congress. But, yeah, it doesn't doesn't really get us too far toward universality. And it shows sort of I guess timidness is not fair here, but but a sort of unwilling to break out of a certain status quo.
1: Yeah, it's a quantitative leap but it's not any sort of qualitative shift. And so this is, this is taking what we have and making it bigger, which if you're thinking about the need for some sort of narrative or cultural change to ultimately get us to UBI, this doesn't do that. This just gives people more support. It makes, makes cash a bigger thing, but but it's there's nothing qualitatively new here.
0: And I will throw in that I am pleased that the bill uh, has a large expansion for people without kids. The EITC is close to non-existent for people without kids, so I did appreciate that, even though they're still at the, the lowest end here. So next up, we have another bill that is focused on EITC.
1: This is the EITC Modernization Act, which was introduced by Congresswoman Bonnie Watson Coleman in September of 2018. What this does is it expands who's eligible for EITC, extending it to both students and caregivers, people with dependents, by giving them a baseline amount of $100 per month. And it changes the delivery mechanism, if folks want it, to, instead of being just annual, to allow people to get it every month instead of once a year. Owen, what do you think about this?
0: Yeah, this is a bill, I think if it passed on its own, it would be maybe less impactful than the brown Khanna bill, but I do like the both the logistical and the philosophical steps it takes. It expands deservedness to caretakers and students, and I think, along with children, which we'll get to, those are the easiest steps to take, rhetorically and politically, for people to say, well, maybe we're still not giving it to everyone, but but it is expanding these, I think, clearly, Deserving people, people who are investing in themselves or people who are doing very, very necessary labor for no compensation. So I love it on those ends. I also think that making these benefits monthly is just a very common sense thing that I don't know who would really object to. A lot of people will borrow against their coming uh, tax return if they're getting if they know they're getting the EITC. And they wouldn't have to do that in some cases if they were getting it monthly. And so that's I think, just common sense. So. Uh, I think this is something where at least that part could be separated out and should be non-controversial, though it hasn't happened yet. And yeah, expanding deservedness, I think, is a key step that it would make a, a huge uh, a huge impact both in the real effects it would have in the world, but also in the philosophical sense of who we are okay giving benefits to.
1: right. This is it's taking on exactly what we said was missing from the gain act, which is it's a qualitative shift to saying that, we are going to be providing benefits to some people who aren't currently eligible for them, at least through the EITC. And so I think, I agree. I think that that's exciting to to see a push on that front. For me, there's an ongoing question around what is, at the end of the day, the best way to rethink our deservedness narrative? Is it something where we can whittle away at who we say is and is not deserving and so right now it's just people with traditional paid work tomorrow it includes parents people taking care of the elderly people in school the day after that it includes xyz more people and then eventually it's everyone or is it something where we really have to take this head on and say like no actually we should say that no one should be in poverty, I, that, that is our starting point and it's a continual push around that. And that's something I, I still feel conflicted about. It, it's, it's not clear to me that the whittling away approach does ultimately get us to, to the place where we want to go, but it's certainly better than what we have right now, as you said, and so I think from that perspective, this seems great.
0: Yeah, uh, I guess I'm my instinct is to be pro-whittling because, you know, if you can shorten the chasm that you have to leap to get to full universality, then that's great. I guess the one big disadvantage is that you are taking out the most sympathetic people who you have as part of the package when a, a big selling point, I think, on UBI is you are compensating caretakers for all this unpaid work that they're doing that is, like I said, completely necessary. So, yeah, I, I'm generally pro-whittling, but I understand that there are cases where politically you need the, the whole package, you need the, the most appealing parts to get the sort of less politically appealing parts through. All right. So the next one we want to talk about was introduced by Kamala Harris, and it's really the centerpiece of her presidential campaign. She's even said that this would be her top priority is getting this bill passed if she becomes president. She announced it in October 2018, and it's called the LIFT Act. So this is not the EITC, but sounds a lot like the EITC, but bigger. So. Um, single working people would get up to $250 per month or $3,000 a year. Married couples would get $500 per month or $6,000 a year. And the phase-out uh, happens much later than the EITC. So for single people without children, it starts at $30,000. For single people with children, it starts at $80,000. And for uh, couples um, with or without children, it the phase-out starts at $60,000. So it's a, a much bigger um, cash program than the EITC. Again, it is only for working people. It phases in, um, up to, I think it starts at around $5,000. So it it still excludes non-working people, but it is a giant cash program that would cost in the trillions. And there's the convenient rhetorical device of the recent tax cut where Kamala Harris said, well, we could just repeal that and apply that money toward the middle class.
1: Yeah, I mean, this feels this feels to me a lot like the Gain Act in many ways, which is this is really just an incredibly amped up EITC program. I think that as as with the Gain Act, it's it's providing more support to single people. Um, interestingly, it's it seems to be deprioritizing uh, children to some degree because the amount you get is roughly the same if you have kids or not. It's just you continue to get support at a higher income level if, if you have those kids. Um, so I think that's interesting. and I'm not really sure how to wrap my head around what the impact of that would be. Although, I mean, we do know that childhood poverty is considerably higher than it is than adult poverty, and so prioritizing children is, is still an important thing to do. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think my take here is, it is, it this, this feels, in my mind, very much in the same category as the GAIN Act. Taking what we have, making it bigger, not really shifting the conversation to a large degree.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think if it does shift the conversation, it's just in the sheer size of it. It is a a huge, huge amount of money that she's proposing. And if we do want to get to universal basic income, we are going to be talking in the trillions one way or another. And so I, I like that it's bold in that sense. It would be a little funny to have this and the EITC. You'd think eventually those would get swept up into one system, though this bill doesn't do that. But I think she wanted to have her own thing and not, not just add on to an existing program.
1: So next up we have legislation that actually does focus specifically on children. And that's the American Family Act of 2017, which was introduced by Sherrod Brown and Michael Bennett. And this is effectively a a child tax credit, a refundable child tax credit at a much more generous level than what we have today. Currently, the maximum refundable child tax credit that someone can receive in the US is $1,400 per year. This would ramp it up to up to $3,600 if you have a child between the ages of 0 and 5, and $3,000 if you have a child between the age of 6 and 18. So it's giving people with children a lot more money.
0: Yeah, and it would be hugely impactful. One study uh, had it almost cutting child poverty rate in the U.S. almost in half. And on one hand, yes, this is conditional on on being a child. On the other hand, it feels like a bigger philosophical leap than an EITC expansion or something like the LIFT Act, because it is unconditional cash. It just it's the government saying, we know it's hard out there. Here's some cash to, to make life a little easier, a little better. And it's monthly. Uh, or can be monthly, and so I, I know that there are a lot of people in the basic income space who feel that we should start with children because n- no one is going to say this this five-year-old is not deserving of, of a good, prosperous life. And so, yeah, I think it's very exciting, and I'll say also that Brown and Bennett are not thought of as kind of out there, fringy senators. They're pretty you know middle of their party, at least. And so for them to be proposing this very uncontroversially is, is encouraging, that there is hope for unconditional cash programs for some part of the population.
1: Yeah, it should be noted that child tax credits historically have not been at all a partisan issue. It's, it's actually gotten a lot of support from both sides. In fact, the Trump tax cuts did include an expansion of, of child tax credits in the US. So even today, this is something that you still can get Republicans on board with. So as far as political feasibility, yes, this seems, I would say, to definitely have a leg up compared to probably everything else we're talking about today. And as far as challenging the idea of what people get support for, I think there's definitely a lens you can use here to say, like, oh, like, this now is making unconditional cash separate from work, a, a bigger part of people's lives. And so it does seem like it has a lot of potential there. I think the only the only reservation, and it's not even a reservation, the only potential limitation that I see on this is exactly what you brought up earlier, which is as we're thinking about giving everyone cash, if we're cherry picking the politically easier targets, does that then potentially make it harder to provide it to everyone else? If, if we get to a point where oh, all the, we have support for all the children now. And then when you talk about giving people unconditional cash beyond that, it's like, oh, well, why would we bother with those folks? So, I mean, I think there's an argument that, that maybe that could be harder in some situations. But to be honest, if we could actually get this through, I, I have trouble imagining that, that it actually it hurts further attempts to, to push UBI. Um, I think at worst, it maybe doesn't make too much of a difference.
0: Yeah, I think that's about where I come down. You can imagine a situation where we've got uh, a child allowance and an expanded EITC that includes caretakers and students, and we have Social Security, and we have unemployment insurance. And you could say, well, we could also just have a UBI, but um, I don't know, I'll I'll, I'll handle that problem when we get there, I guess, I, I think, you know, shortening the the size of a UBI or the philosophical leap of a UBI is, in the end, a good thing. And it means you've done some good along the way. All right. So moving on to another presidential candidate's bill, which is it it focuses on children, but does so a little bit differently. This is from Cory Booker. Um, It is colloquially referred to as a baby bond. It was announced in October 2018. And what this program would do is called the American Opportunity Accounts Program. Every child in the U.S. would be given a bank account with a thousand dollars in it. And then they would receive every year up to a two thousand dollar addition to that bank account, depending on their family's income level. And this would be a fund that would grow at an estimated three percent annually. They would not be allowed to touch that fund until they reached 18 and then wouldn't be able to use it for just anything. um, The idea here is to grow wealth. And so you'd be able to invest in education, home ownership, retirement, and and there may be other things, but those are the the, the big categories that this bill focuses on. So yeah, this is a, an interesting one, Jim. What do you think?
1: So I think something that's important to understand here, as as far as the motivation for this, is a big point of focus amongst both academics and progressive advocates, who who focus on racial justice is the racial wealth gap. That day to day, we tend to look more at income as seeing the disparities that exist in our society. But if you dig deeper and seeing how much do people actually own, things actually look far more dire than they do just with income. That the median white household in the US has phenomenally more wealth than the median black or median Hispanic household. And so this is having an impact beyond just what you are earning through your paycheck. It's actually affecting the entire way you approach life. And so there's a lot of discussion about what can be done to actually close this wealth gap. And baby bonds are very much targeted towards that. It's the idea that let's do something specifically focused on changing how much wealth people have. And so that's the reason that these accounts are, are effectively locked until someone becomes an adult. Because I know I've heard many people say, "If you're going to give people some support, just give it to them." Why, why? Why are you allowing them? Why aren't you letting them take out that money if they need it for something? And the reason is because this is basically seen as a mechanism to build up enough money to be considered a sizable amount of wealth, and then to restrict it towards an activity aimed at further building someone's wealth. So that's just a little bit of background as to why this sort of approach has been put out there. I think that, so then taking a step back to our original place, how does this connect to UBI? I think that there, I mean, again, it's cash, so it's money people will be able to use, but it's not unconditional. You can only use it for certain purposes that are, I mean, the idea being that that helps you further build wealth. And it is, uh, there are these these hurdles to access that, that exist throughout it. So I, I think that it's something... I think it does it does go far beyond what we have today. And so I think as far as pushing the envelope, this is great because it doesn't really resemble anything else we have and, and I think could push people to broadly consider bigger ideas. But I, I do think it's it's a long ways away from actually something like an unconditional basic income.
0: Yeah, I kind of like how it's unusual and gets me in a different headspace than most other policies. It would be very weird to have this and nothing else that we discussed, uh, just because it does have these kind of peculiar aspects to it. Like you're providing assistance to poor families, but they can't touch it for 18 years. And once they can touch it, they can't just spend it on food. They have to, you know, buy a home or or go to school. Um, On the other hand, I can see it as part of this larger vision of... You know, we we provide assistance for you just to to get through life. But also there's this growing account that you can use to build wealth and kind of move up a, a rung on the economic ladder. One element of it that the the part of the conditional element that makes me nervous, I know that education and home ownership and retirement feel like these things that are always going to be worthwhile and valuable, but the world changes so fast these days, I just have trouble placing that big a bet on anything 18 years out to say that this is the thing that everyone is going to want to be spending money on. Yeah, Again, I, I don't know why those things would be supplanted or, or not as worthwhile, but, you know, there, there's a lot of different potential outcomes for 18 years, 50 years out. So, yeah, I, I kind of like the concept in a lot of ways, but I would want it as part of a larger package. I, I would... Be much more inclined to focus on some of the other things we were talking about today and of course UBI itself and have this as kind of a, an interesting supplement to that. Well I, I think you actually
1: touched on a very important point which is this a baby bonds program is actually extremely politically vulnerable because by design it's sitting it's on something which only comes to fruition in 18 years and the idea that you could actually make it 18 years before a change in governance or a change in broad social perception that then led to those accounts being raided for another purpose is very, very hard to pull off. Other countries have tried this, and this is exactly the problem they've seen, is that a few years down the road, you start building up these large accounts, and you have a budget crisis or whatever other priority, and people are like, oh, well, this money's here. Let's use it for this other thing. And so I think that there is. I'm very skeptical that you can actually successfully create a program like this. That really does require that weight. I think there is variations that that might allow you to gradually build up to that while still dispersing in in various ways along the way. But I I, I do think that as it stands, there's a lot
0: of danger that you don't ultimately
1: end up with anything
0: here. Yeah, I I could see something that's a softer version of this. Like the government sets up a program where maybe you start with a little bit of money and... It's in a, a tax-protected account or, you know, that, that grows at a certain rate. There's incentives to put money into the savings account and you maybe create something toward universal banking along those lines. I think there are a lot of good ideas in here. Um, and I, I think maybe in the end, that's what the policy could potentially look like if it actually started to get toward becoming law. But, yeah, this, I think, is just a little too weird and a little too specific to make sense as the thing to do.
1: And to be fair, this was this wasn't put out there as like, okay, this is the fully flushed-out plan. This was definitely more of like, here's a big idea that connects in some ways to the fact that I'm running for president. Right. And it was it was just putting something out there. It wasn't there's I, there's not been serious legislative progress on this as of yet. And so I imagine prior to that, there probably would be more thinking through as to how do you actually do it in a way that is going to be politically protected and is going to align with other things going on? So last up, we have a bill that is actually a policy we've talked about quite a bit on this podcast, which is a carbon dividend. This was introduced by John Delaney and Sheldon Whitehouse, and it actually creates a national carbon dividend. It puts a fee on carbon emissions uh, coming from fossil fuels, coal, oil, natural gas. Takes that money, um, puts it into account. That is then primarily used to just issue out these universal dividends that pay out to everyone in the country. Uh, the The people receiving it, uh, it's actually it's both citizens and lawful residents. Uh, a full dividend goes to adults. Half dividend to children under the age of nineteen. It's paid out monthly. Um, The carbon, on the carbon pricing side, uh, it starts at $15 per ton of emitted carbon in 2019 and goes up $10 per year. It includes border adjustments on imports and exports so that you don't end up with these perverse incentives about buying products from other places that that don't have a carbon tax. But this would get us pretty immediately to actually issuing universal payments in the U.S.
0: Yeah, I'm obsessed with carbon dividends. There is a, um, a house near, near me that will post questions just for the community. Um, and there's a little pencil hanging down from a piece of tape. And one of them was, um, what is one thing you want the world to know? And I usually just look at people's responses and there are things like, you are loved and you are great. And I wrote, look into the concept of carbon dividends. <laughs> um, ever since, I mean, not ever since the Yellow Vest protests, but the Yellow Vest protests in France reignited my carbon dividend crusade because those resulted from a proposed carbon tax in France. And a carbon tax is regressive among its other. You know, I think we will need market based solutions to deal with climate change. But you run into this issue that um, if you are putting a price on energy, then the people who are most needy will be hit the hardest by that. If you create a carbon dividend, that completely flips around. And so the people who are consuming the most end up paying more into the system, and you are a net earner from the system, and you get a carbon tax as part of the deal. And so I think this is just such a a win-win for me. And if I could insert one idea into the American zeitgeist, let alone the American legislative system, it would be this one.
1: Yeah, I think that this, of the things we've discussed, I, I feel like this brings us closest to a UBI, because universal payments to everyone in the country that's that is yeah, UI, yeah. <laughs> and it's then just a question of scale, and so yes, I think that this is th- this would be a, a big deal if, if this this were passed. I think that the the only aspect of this that I feel like serves as potentially a barrier later is when you have these carbon payments that you, you tax the carbon, you, you pay out directly, you end up with this peak and then fall over time in the payments to folks. And so I think that's where potentially you could run into trouble, because you pass this legislation, people start getting payments, they're happy, payments get bigger, they're happier, but then payments start getting smaller, and what do they do? And so I think that if, if this is the path taken, it requires some pretty fast action then to figure out how do you take that next step, and so people keep getting large payments. Because if you don't, I think you you end up running into a dead end. Um, this is why I I tend to favor not a direct carbon dividend, but rather using a carbon tax to build a social wealth fund that pays out to people. Um, and I think it, it can be a split model, having some of it go directly, some of it build a fund. But when you build a fund, that gets invested, that grows over time, that never shrinks, and so it allows you to to keep having those large dividends indefinitely, and then to feed other things into the fund to get that even larger. So I it, again, this is like wishless, but if this instead could be used to build a social wealth fund, I would say that's even closer to to ultimately getting UBI, but it, it
0: already feels quite close as it is. That'll do it for this episode of the Basic Income Podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you to producer Eric Davidson. Please rate us and review us on the podcast service of your choice. And tell a friend. We're always looking to bring more people into this conversation. Have a great day.